Okay. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, and good night if you happen to be um, in an Antipodean region, or at least Antipodean to us, we would be the same to you, I guess. Welcome to a brand new thesis theater. My name is Dr. Brenton Dickinson, and I teach in our language and literature department here at Signum University. Our Signum students, uh, master's students, they have the opportunity to write a thesis at the end of their degree program exploring a topic of their choosing. These thesis theaters are a chance uh, for them to present their research to a more general audience than just the academic sphere, but also a chance to kind of tease out the implications of the work, uh, add in a personal element and get questions from an audience. And I love these free events and I'm glad to see some folks here for the conversation and also uh, let you know, of course, that the, our Signum University YouTube channel has these events uh, available for the last few years. So I want to uh, welcome uh, Jacob here and then give some preliminaries and then let you launch into things, Jacob. Uh, and I'm excited about your, your Logos of Faith sub-creation Tolkien's Legendarium piece. So this will be great. All right. So I'm going to do the full introduction to Jacob in a moment, but a couple of notes for those of us attending the session here. The session is being recorded and be part of Signum's YouTube channel. And, and that's really Jacob's ongoing contribution to the school's library of knowledge, uh, as well as an open resource for everyone throughout the world. And uh, Jacob is going to present his uh, some ideas, the basic ideas of his thesis and hit on some points of uh, that will bring clarity or uh, hopefully open up ideas for us in reading The Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. And then after that, I'll ask a few questions. Jacob and I will chat back and forth and then we're gonna open it up to you kind folks for the uh, Q&A session. I would encourage you to use the Q&A box for those questions so that I'm able to curate those questions in, in an order that, that makes sense. Um, okay, so now let's 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 do it. Let's get to the main feature. Um, okay, uh, Jacob R. Schreiner holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in English from the Sam Houston State University. Uh, he first presented uh, at Textmood in 2019 on God of War and Norse oral storytelling, and then at Mythmoot 6 on What Worms Are Made For, The Cure to Conquering Dragons in C.S. Lewis's Pilgrim's Regress and Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, then the next year at Mythmoot 7, uh, uh, Jacob presented A Light for the Hobbit Feet, Moral Choices That Defy Darkness in Children's Fantasy. His research includes... Uh, fantasy, especially Tolkien, the speech act theory, which we're going to talk about today, and interest in Germanic philology. Jacob currently runs a blog called the Tolkienian, 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 you can clarify how I'm supposed to say that, where he analyzes works of Tolkien fantasy and science fiction. Jacob now is presenting a material, as you know, from his thesis, The Logos, or Logos, you can tell us, of faith, sub-creation through speech acts in Tolkien's Legendarium. Okay, Jacob, on to you, and I believe you have some slides for us to see. Yes, let me get those up. Yeah, sure. I like, right. that, I like that you're actually in Middle Earth, according to your screen. Um, yes. It's, it's a good a good way to locate yourself. That looks good, and you sound great here on the screen. All right. Cool. Thank you. Uh, all right. So, Logos of Faith, uh, Speech Acts through Subcreation, Tolkien's Legendarium. Uh, so, the basic premise of my thesis has to do with the power of language and words in subcreation. 
Uh, and this power stems from the creator who gives us uh, that ability to subcreate, um, <clears throat> which is reflected in God versus commanding for the universe to be. Uh, I explore the power of words through speech act theory, which says that in our speaking, you're not just saying something, we are basically doing something. And we subcreate through language and in our speaking, we produce certain effects in the world. And that same ability occurs in Tolkien's Legendarium, uh, starting with Luvatar commanding uh, the world to be, and then Frodo and Sam have that same power uh, to subrogate through speech acts. Um, so uh, J.L. Lawson is the father of speech act theory. Uh, and I use his book, How to Do Things with Words uh, to, as the main body of literature for the ideas I expressed in my thesis. Uh, both more recent theorists like John Searle and uh, Daniel Vanderbecken. Uh, Nossin labels uh, the utterances we say into three categories, locutionary, elocutionary, and perlocutionary. Uh, and the locutionary act is basically performance of saying something as in a statement of fact, uh, like saying uh, the cat's name is Garfield. Uh, and the elocutionary act is the performance of an act in saying something as opposed to a performance of an act of saying something. Uh, uh, in saying something, um, there's an effect on, uh, on the hearer as opposed to only say something aloud. Uh, an example of which I could say, I order you to name the cat Garfield. And so in saying the speech act, uh, I'm giving an order. Uh, and the precautionary act occurs when we say something and it produces, uh, as Austin says, certain uh, consequential effects upon the feelings, thoughts, or actions of the audience or of the speaker or of other persons. Uh, so instead of in saying the utterance, uh, the perlocutionary act of, occurs by saying the utterance. So by ordering the hearer to name the cat Garfield, I may convince or persuade them to do so. Uh, so by doing X, I am doing Y. Um, and so those are some of the basic principles of speech act theory that I kind of address in my thesis. Uh, so uh, to understand how Tolkien can do these do things with words, I, I first explored uh, his theory of mythopoiesis and subcreation. Uh, and, and he writes in on fairy stories that fantasy remains a human right we make in our measure and our derivative mode because we are made uh, and not only made, but made in image and likeness of a maker. Uh, and this type of creation is what Tolkien refers to as subcreation, uh, creation that's derivative of the creator. Uh, and in Mythopoeia, uh, Tolkien writes, we make still by the law in which we're made. Uh, and through the logos in creation, uh, humans are given the ability to subcreate through words uh, using our words spoken in faith to have consequential uh, effects on um, on the world at large. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, so basically, a speech act is, is both an act of subcreation and a medium through which we subcreate. Uh, and so, considering logos as the word, uh, language is important to fantasy and subcreation, uh, as Tolkien says in the. Uh, in manuscript A of Unfairy Stories, uh, mythology is language and language is mythology. And so language and mythology are connected. Um, so there's an incarnational concept of, of language that we can subcreate through our words and devise an entire mythology with them. Uh, and then that language, and then language helps us uh, express that mythology to make better sense of our world. Uh, and the importance of language is also something that Owen Barfield uh, was concerned with and Tolkien took inspiration from his book, Poetic Diction, uh, to shape ideas that are present in his legendarium, uh, which is the next part here, uh, which I look at is, uh, Owen Barfield argues that language changes over time and that the older language is, uh, the closer it relates to myth because the semantics of ancient words were, were comprised of 
numerous meetings wrapped up in the one word, which he calls ancient semantic unity. Uh, and then Barfield says, in the development of language and thought, these single meanings split up into contrasting pairs, the abstract, concrete, uh, particular and general, objective and subjective. Uh, and so the original unity of the word is lost. Um, and then this kind of divorcing of language is, is important for ancient semantic unity, uh, where words were once comprised of kind of a, a plethora of different connotations, and then they were used metaphorically and then fragmented over time. Uh, and logos is, is uh, one example of this, um, and especially important when we consider the several connotations that it has, all of which can be applied to uh, speech act theory. Uh, and um, sorry. So all of which can be applied to speech act theory. Uh, and in the process of, of God, therefore, is a means that we can subcreate. Um, and so William Flieger notes that the use of logos in the Gospel of John, uh, in the beginning was a word with the Greek word logos being substituted for the word word, uh, which he says that to John and his audience, logos would have conveyed co-equally with word, speech, reason, organizing principle, and cosmic harmony. Uh, and this example is uh, especially important concerning the creation of the world as logos represents the word of creation the reason and cosmic harmony that brought together by God. Um, and so the power of logos as the word in sub-creation can be attributed to the concept of a singular speech act made by God, uh, which brought all of creation into being. Uh, and this concept allows humanity to subcreate through speech acts because of an original logos uh, supplied by the creator, uh, whether in the real, word, real world or in Tolkien's Middle Earth. Uh, and so as Tolkien the Catholic, uh, draws inspiration for his own creation story in the Anulindale, uh, uh, the book of Genesis is most definitely on his mind regarding the word of creation. Um, and the first chapter of the verse reads, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So all it takes for God is to speak something into existence, uh, and the same is true for Iluvatar. Uh, another inspiration for Tolkien in the word comes from uh, John's gospel, where Christ represents the Logos in the center of creation. Uh, the word through which God creates the world. As it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And so in the Anulindale, uh, the music acts as the logos through which everything is made. Uh, and, and by the logos, uh, humans have their being as it represents the word of uh, creation and the organizing principle and reason for existence uh, spoken by the creator. Uh, and according to According to Mythopoeia, subcreators uh, or humans subcreate by the law that gives us our existence. So the logos is the divine word to which we use words as subcreated things to call on the divine through prayer to solicit a response to our speech act. Uh, uh, this requires faith on our part that we are using language in the right way according to the will of God, uh, and that hopefully there will be an answer ultimately uh, uh, by that by that prayer. Uh, and so um, Louvatar saying Ea is not just a word spoken by the creator, it's a proclamation, a speech act through which the force of the word has the power to, to bring creation into being. Uh, and by this word, Ainur can then enter into the world and subgrade. Uh, and so faith is also a uh, necessary ingredient uh, in subcreation because the act of prayer and naming of the divine or speech acts where we use language and faith, uh, that there'll be intercession by a higher power. And therefore, therefore, there'll 
there, there's hope that um, for an outcome to our speech act. Uh, and so for McIntosh, faith and reason must work in tandem because faith uh, completes reason by offering the promise and guarantee of that which reason desires but cannot on its own attain. But it also is what sets reason on the right path in the first place by providing it with its initial orientating trajectory towards the divine. Uh, so just as faith guides reason in the direct direction, or the correct direction, uh, there's uh, logos is the reason for faith and prayer. And that reason stems from uh, having first uh, a necessity in speaking the prayer and also that it appeals to a higher power's reason that's not known to the one who prays. Uh, and then in, uh, Thistleton notes here that Thomas Aquinas regarded prayer on its uh, various traditional forms as uh, spoken reason or seratio, as well as the ascent of the soul, he divined prayer as an act of reason. Uh, this is uh, the same concept that where we can, the one who prays must be in alignment with God's divine plan. Um, and then prayer is inherently performative because uh, the one who prays is looking to do things with their words, which is really to allow God to act so that the speaker's logos of faith may be answered. Uh, and so to pray is not just to say some words into a, a vacuous body and, and hope for the best, but it takes real faith that there'll be an answer. When, and what Thistleton says of prayer is that prayer offered in faith as an act of entry to your main nearer to constituting a speech act than to, than to uh, remaining only an assertion or statement. And so prayer as a speech act, uh, it's a speech act because it has the power of separation through language uh, that is willed and permitted by the creator in the moment of the utterance. And then if the prayer is a request, God is called to respond to this illocutionary act by answering the prayer. And so going on to uh, Tolkien's Legendarium, uh, in the Anulindale, Luvatar is the prime mover in creation and makes the Anur out of his thought. Uh, then the logos of creation comes to fruition when, when uh, Luvatar pronounces Ea, let these things be, and I will send forth into the void the flame imperishable, and it shall be at the heart of the world, and the world shall be. Uh, this, is the, this is the word that uh, sets all of creation into motion. Uh, Ea is, is essentially it is or uh, let it be, uh, and the same, uh, the same as God's supernatural declaration, let there be light, and there is light. Uh, so by Iluvihar saying Ea, he's declaring that the world be made, and it's made so because he's declared it. And so the locutionary act is an act of uh, a performance in saying something, which is the action we do. Uh, but unless a certain effect is achieved, the locutionary act will not have been happily successfully performed. Um, and this act leads to the prolocutionary, uh, which is what we bring about or achieve when we say something. Uh, so it's the consequence, consequence of our, act, our, our uh, speech act. Uh, so in the case of Iluvatar, the, the audience or the force of the words to land on are the Anyur, and by the command, uh, they are encouraged to then set out to make these things be. Uh, in speaking this primordial word, uh, Luvatar's speech act has the power to establish uh, creation into existence uh, uh, by the Logos as word and reason. And after the Anyur, the elves also put to good use the Logos through language when they first wake in Middle-earth and look upon the stars. Uh, their first reaction is to exclaim uh, El, or behold. Uh, the, the naming of objects is a speech act itself. It's a subcreation that brings reality to the creations of the world. Uh, and so at this moment, the Elvish word El becomes a subcreation in the form of language, uh, connects to the logos in, as word, and then develops into the, the name they call themselves, and then shapes their identity. So from the performance uh, 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 act, the of act of naming, uh, comes the authority of uttering the name. And so in discussing the relationship between the name, namer and the named, Janet Brennan Croft highlights the fact that the name giver through giving or using a name 
may assert a certain amount of power over the named or indicate that their equality with neutrality about subservience to or admiration for the named entities. And so in the case of uh, uh, the name Elbereth and how certain characters use it, there is an obvious admiration and, and subservience present that uh, when uh, Frodo and Sam utter it in faith, it allows for consequential subcreative acts. Uh, and um, in Lord of the Rings, uh, Frodo and Sam connect themselves to the logos uh, through the spoken word. Uh, and they're, be, they're able to work with the creator through speech acts to subcreate uh, the power to ward off evil. And so in uh, my thesis, I explored three other episodes in Lord of the Rings uh, that had to do with speech act theory. But one of the most important episodes of Lord of the Rings uh, is uh, Frodo and Sam's encounter with Shelob in the Two Towers. And what's so important about this episode is that uh, they use the file of Galadriel along with their speech acts uh, and the file sort of acts like a, uh, a barometer that, that measures in response to the Hobbit's hope. And so it shines when there's more and then droops when there's not. Uh, so when Frodo uses it for the first time, hope grows in his mind and it, uh, it gives him courage. And he's able to speak in Elvish tongues uh, as if another voice has uh, spoken through his. And so that's kind of like a, a divine intervention that, that's happened before for Frodo previously. And so through this invocation, uh, Frodo is, is also performing a speech act because in speaking these words, there's an illocutionary force behind them to dismiss Shelob. And although he does not see her yet, he can feel her presence. Uh, and Frodo exercises power by calling on the name, and uses his words in sincerity and faith uh, and the light to repel Shelob. Uh, but at first she doesn't heed them. Speech act would be called unhappy as Austin calls it because the procedure must be executed by all participants both correctly and completely and the participants must actually uh, so conduct themselves subsequently. So Frodo's sincerity is unmatched with by Shelob's insincerity, and therefore the prolocutionary act by Frodo saying the words to repel the spider is canceled. Uh, and so once more, uh, Frodo regains his courage and calls out for Galadriel using the star glass. Uh, and so in Frodo's invocation, he's rebuking or dismissing Shelob. And then by Frodo's invocation, by calling on Galadriel's name, Gilab is alarmed, uh, and especially so because of the divine light, and then she retreats. And uh, Sam also has a, a moment of his own when Shelob returns, and he makes a prayer to Elbereth. Uh, and in this prayer, he, he's, he's using his faith to invoke the holy name of Elbereth, and then the light shines uh, brighter than ever. Uh, and as William Fitzgerald says, uh, if the language of prayer tells us anything, it is that the gods come when they are called. This is the authorizing assumption behind all acts of verbal appeal to the divine. Consequently, one must be serious in using the power language to draw the divine into human presence and vice versa. And Thistleton says, for serious and sincere prayer commits the one who prays to action, uh, which is consonant with a union of wills with God. And so Sam certainly has this, this uh, sincerity aspect uh, that's required for a speech act to be happy. Uh, and he is in the correct position because he has authority over Shelob since uh, the power of the divine is on his side. Uh, and so Shelob is ultimately defeated by the power of the Logos as the word through speech acts. And, and this ultimately is, comes from a higher power that has gifted it to the hobbits and they're able to use their words and faith to draw back the forces of evil. Uh, and that's how uh, we can do things with words that I explored in my thesis. Excellent. All right, thank thank you, Jacob. That's uh, that was quite a tight uh, summary, and um, and I really appreciate this. And and folks should know, like um, the way that this works in the world is Jacob comes with an idea, and then we think about 
what professors fit and things like that. And and for me, as soon as as soon as I actually, I think read the title, I think I knew what this could be. So I, I really appreciate that. So let's I'm I'm gonna let's chat a bit about this. Can you? Un, or stop sharing your screen and oh, yeah. then and then let's but if you if you want ever want to refer back to it we can always just pop that open again mm -hmm. okay, Jacob. Yep. all right and then as we do this then folks can if they want uh, add some questions to the q a box so it's a fairly uh, a theory-based reading of a story that we love gives us the ability to kind of re-energize the reading or read with a new lens. And, but you have like a number of sort of a triangle of concepts here and, and let's, uh, let me just break that. And then in putting it back together, see if we can create kind of a mental package that we can then walk around with uh, in our lives, right? So, um, so let's uh, begin at the, uh, the very basics and you're actually pl playing a bit playfully with words. Logos has a number of meanings that roll throughout your thesis. What kinds of meanings does that original word Logos have? Well, of course, the, the uh, main one would be word, like the word of God from, you know, in the Gospel of John, we know that as the word being Jesus himself. Uh, but it's also like, it could be speech itself, the act of speaking, uh, or uh, the, one, the one I use in my thesis is uh, reason, like the divine reason of the divine plan of the entire universe. Uh, and so it's like a, a harmony of the universe in that way. So it's kind of like speech, reason, the word, uh, or word, words themselves are kind of a cosmic harmony. Mm, yeah. And you use it, I think, at one point uh, for logic, like there's a logic. Yeah. Also, logic is looking at uh, yeah. kind of like on our a rhetoric standpoint, the logic of maybe a paper, but the logic of kind of the universe working as a whole is also something I looked at. Good, good. And I think, cause I think most people would encounter the word logos as just like study of, right? Like psychology is the study of mm -hmm. the psyche or the soul, right? So it's good to have those different definitions and that kind of rolls through your piece. Okay, so, so that we're gonna just park that just for a few moments. So, primary world secondary world uh tolkien's language for where you and i are sitting in digital connection uh, and uh, the middle earth legendarium space right so uh in the primary world in tolkien's view god creates in genesis uh in speech let there be mm -hmm. and, and, and then there there is right uh and aluvatar says ah uh, and it, it is, right? So that's, I mean, that, that's obviously a parallel. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think we're overdrawing things to make yeah. that parallel, right? Yeah. Okay. So we have the two creators of the primary world and the secondary world. And, uh, um, and they create uh, in, in, in a way, both in the primary and secondary world, that we are to be creators too, sub-creators is Tolkien's word. Is that, that, that that's mm -hmm. your understanding, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so in, in our, our world, Tolkien becomes the, the poet, the artist, the writer, the creator of worlds in that, in that sense. And then you use the example um, in the Silmarillion of the elves uh, creating their spaces and, and uh, uh, there'd be a few a few examples on the large scale, but lots on the small scale, right? Is that, I'm, yeah. I'm getting that parallel, right? Of yeah, definitely there's a parallel there. 
Yeah, no, that's good. So um, just park sub creation just for a moment. So let's go to speech act as, as a theory. And mm -hmm. for me, uh, I love the examples that you use. You actually, the benefit of the paper is you get to spend, you know, 20 minutes reading different examples. I really have, I re like, I, from the first time I understood what was going on, I liked Austin's idea and the clarifications, mm -hmm. but I have to create kind of like a cheat sheet for myself in order to walk around with the different terms. But the basic one that caught me was uh, a marriage ceremony. And I understood then um, from there. So mm -hmm. the, um, the, the officiant, the minister or the, the judge or whatever says, um, do you, and the couple say, I do, we do. And in doing so, they do, right? They're doing the thing that they're doing. The minister or the judge says, you are married and they are married, right? So those are speech acts that happen mm -hmm. in that. So like, that's kind of the, the biggest vision of that sort of thing, right? But you kind of, you like the research kind of moved on, Austin and people after, like, is like everything we say a speech act? Uh that's where I, I, I kind of like define or divide things into things that are performative versus, you know, just a performance. I mean, uh, John Thrill says that every thing we say is basically a performance because we're, we're using language and we're saying words and it's basically a performance, but uh, there's things that are performance and then there's things that are performative that John Thrill kind of uh, looks at. And uh, you can, uh, by performative, you're, you say, something and uh, something else occurs in the world because of you saying that that's something. So by, so basically the perlocutionary act of by saying something, uh, someone else, something happens. So then by saying, you know, I do in a marriage ceremony, uh, that's performative in the way that you are then married. Uh, and so anything like that, like uh, any kind of ceremony, basically a baptism, baptize you, name the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and so then you are baptized. And so there's kind of a difference between performative and just like saying something like, like Austin says, a, a lucationary act is something that we just say, like, I like cats. And so that's not really a, a performance in a speech act kind of way, but, you know, uh, saying something like I order you to go do the dishes or something, it's kind of like you're, you're it's a speak, speech act, which has kind of a, a consequence by saying that thing. And so that's kind of like a performative, uh, thing that we do uh, in, in speaking. Mm, that's right. So like, I think the difference then, so like the saying, this is a cabbage doesn't create anything in the world if we all know that that's right. a cabbage, so it, right? It's another thing that Daniel Vanderbecken says, that it doesn't create a new fact in the world. And so that's right. by saying something is a cabbage, it's not creating it a fact in the world. It's just, it's a cabbage. But if you're saying, you know, um, go pick that cabbage, that person you're talking to goes and picks that cabbage. And so that's kind of like a, a new thing that happens in the world. Good, good. So thinking about those, so leaving behind like the statements of fact and the things where nothing happens in the world, the non-performative kind of things, right? So just leaving all those potentials behind, which folks that love reading about that kind of thing can go and do. So thinking about kind of the doing things with words, stuff that happens in the world, I guess this is a cabbage is different if I'm naming it for the first time. This is a like a North American juniper cabbage that I just invented, right? This is, right. and then it is, right? So that's a kind mm -hmm. of 
a, a new baby or uh, uh, you are my friend. These are naming events, right? That, right. that, that uh, name things, or this is friendship, I guess would be a way of saying it. Um, but we can also kind of perform it by saying you are my friend. I might actually create friendship. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Or this is a joke. If I do it in the right kind of way, I might be saying it, doing a joke and saying it's a joke, right? So it has that mm -hmm. inside level, okay? Yeah. And then there's a command form, do the thing, which may or may not happen in the real world, but, um, but the, uh, do you call it happy or felicitous? What's the, when they go and do the thing they're supposed to do, what's that? That's, uh, Austin calls that uh, a happy statement. So it'd be a felicity statement. And then things that aren't, that go wrong would be called infelicities or it would be unhappy right. statements that they didn't occur because of saying, uh, the, the performance of speech. Yeah, yeah. So go pick the cabbage, and you don't want to pick the cabbage. It doesn't happen. Like so, that's an uh, infelicity or an unhappy statement. Okay. Right. So, so thinking of then the naming words, the making words in the sense of you are um, married, right? You are a married couple or something, uh, or <laughs> let it be, let the world be, like that kind of thing. Uh, commanding words, we've talked about those, but then you also talk throughout of invocation, summoning, and prayer words. Are those all a category? Like, is it like if I say, hey, Jacob, like that's a, a calling word, right? And that, mm -hmm. that does us something in our relationship. Is that, is that, is invocation like, is that a whole category? And where does prayer fit into that kind of group of words? I think that by, by calling someone, you kind of uh, create in that person to uh, be motivated or, you know, to, to respond to their name. And so that's kind of like a, a performance where you're, you get their attention in that way. But uh, like calling on like God, for instance, uh, it, it kind of depends on the prayer, I guess, you know, if you're doing any, like a petitionary prayer, uh, 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 Austin has uh, different words for different kinds of things. And, and uh, um, Van der Vecken calls them like, uh, you can use directives, which are like orders or, or, uh, or asking of something. So if you're doing like a petitionary prayer, you would be using that directive kind of uh, speech act, which would, would be not kind of ordering God to do something, but you're asking for something. Uh, and so you, your performance of asking God uh, by, you know, saying that, uh, uh, please let this happen. Or if you're just maybe uh, invocating the name itself could be a way to draw God's attention to, uh, to for him to act uh, instead of, you know, you're not the one acting, but God's the one acting. In that, in that in that way and so he's kind of um the one performing in that way and so uh, i guess uh, for prayer and invocation is kind of way a way of a basic way of asking god to respond in a way since you're you're kind of asking for something in return and then god will then it i guess if it's his prerogative to to answer the, the the prayer if he wants to but then he does he does act because of that that asking Right. Yeah. No, that's it. I think that's, and I think prayer gathers a few things in, in like in a supplication or an asking prayer might be different than 
like a giving over, like thy will be done, right? Is a different kind of prayer or uh, like the be with me is a different kind of thing, right? Not, not a directed outcome. In that sense, with prayer, we would, in most cases, we wouldn't know if the act is felicitous in the sense we don't know if the question is or the, the thing is answered right the yeah like in the asking we we unless it's very specific you know i would like cabbage like in the next hour which is an unusual prayer from many times and places but in most of those other prayers we we don't really un, we presume the felicity right like we presume mm-hmm. the happiness of that kind of thing right so in in your paper you have you you go through the Lord of the Rings. I mean we talked about Silmarillion and that's a cool section, but you do the Lord of the Rings, and there's a handful of moments where Frodo and Sam reach speak out. Frodo especially, but Sam once as well in a significant way speak mm-hmm. out what um, you call prayers, right? Calling out in those sorts of moments, and you talked a bit about that, but I think it's worth kind of going you know, in, into that for, for, uh, for a moment, does something like, like what's different that like, if, if Tolkien is saying his bedtime prayers, what's different than when Frodo is in crisis and is calling out. So what's different in that prayer event between those two things? Uh, I think, it's really based on, I guess, the situation in that uh, they're kind of in dire straits here. And so it's kind of like they're using their faith because they want something to happen and they're kind of expecting something to happen, even though, you know, it might not happen. But uh, I think I, it's the word of faith that that gives them kind of courage that maybe that, that what God will answer that prayer. And so uh, it's, I guess it's kind of a different situation in a sense that it, they are there's a me, an immediacy to uh, their uh, their calling for for God in that moment, and so um, that's re- really based on uh, the hope that they have and the faith that they have in, in their words for that uh, for those acts to occur because of their asking God for their um, situation to be changed. Yeah, and, and there really is an immediacy. There's also, I think, a destination difference, right? Like, so with the Tom Bombadil, which prayer is maybe a pretty loose term, but the call for help with Frodo and Pom, uh, Tom Bombadil, like the first time he doesn't know about Tom Bomba, Bombadil, sorry, sorry, I've gotten bombadilicious here, uh, but just cries out like, help, right, basically. Mm-hmm and Tom comes along, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, you know that that's a calling beyond what, what he knows, but it's a mm-hmm. full calling, right? The speech act. The, but later when he calls for Tom, he doesn't just call out help. What does he do later when he's calling for Tom? Well, after Bombadil helps the hobbits and he kind of teaches them a song that kind of calls on Bombadil. It's kind of, it's kind of like a prayer in a sense that uh, when they're kind of alone on uh, the barrel downs, and, uh, and again, it's getting they're in, they're in they're inside the the tomb of the barrel downs, and so Frodo uh, kind of he says Tom Bombadil's name, he gets a little bit of courage uh, from those words, and then he goes into the full song of 
of, of singing the full song and kind of calling Bombadil to help them and in a way, in a way of asking for his help. And, and that's kind of like, I guess Bombadil is not like this, uh, like, uh, like, like Dodd in a sense or something, but he has power in his own realm. But I guess I, I, when, when Frodo first call, says help in, in the forest, uh, he's not really talking to, to anyone. It's kind of like, it just happens to him. He says it. And so it's kind of like a divine intervention in that sense. Uh, and then Bombadil comes along. So it's kind of like maybe God asked, kind of working in that way that Bombadil comes. But uh, when Frodo kind of says the, uh, the poem there, the song, then Bombadil comes uh, in, that, in that moment. Yeah. But there is like, it's more than that too. Like, it, like exactly that other side of it, there's like almost like a tugging side, like a, a causing to call out. We see this later, right? When he calls out, um, for help, like in, for light and dark spaces and, and mm -hmm. help in those sorts of moments, Frodo does. Uh, there is a sense of like almost otherness about it. Like he's not just speaking something he's learned, but discovering something new. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's kind of like over, over, the over time, like from the first time he calls for help, uh, you know, he sees that something is happening to him that, you know, it, he's not the one calling out for help. It's kind of like, like I said, divine intervention going on his side, but over time that happens more and more. And so he calls on Bombadil, he calls on Galadriel and Elbereth uh, several times. Uh, and so it, it's kind of like he's learning from these words of, of faith to be hopeful for something to happen and using these words and faith to that they, they will happen that they've, they've happened several times before. Yeah. Yeah. And from the Fellowship of the Ring, for example, one example you give is um, uh, he's being a uh, uh, threatened by the Nazgul knife and, or, you know, um, you know, in, in grave danger. And then he heard himself crying aloud, oh, Elbereth, uh, Giltoniel, uh, and, and, and at the same time that the narrator says he struck at the feet of his enemy and a shrill cry sang, crying. Uh, rang out in the night so there's a sense of like hearing himself like a, a pulling beyond did like did Frodo know like did Frodo know to cry to Albareth is that like like is that something in his catechism of of hobbithood growing up that one does like uh, or is that a completely from beyond experience well I think that um, he kind of first hears Elbereth's name when he encounters the elves uh, uh, in, in the forest for the first time when he leaves Hobbiton for the first time, he encounters the elves there and they teach him, they sing a song about Elbereth. And so that kind of is in his memory and he knows that Elbereth is kind of like this supreme being to the elves and, and she's an important figure. And so I think that when he's, he's in that moment of dire need, there is kind of something in there that, that calling to him that, uh, he remembers Elbereth's name and he can then use that power that, that he has uh, in the name and in, in, in saying the name that, uh, that then it, it kind of gives him kind of courage in that moment. And so it changes his situation by him saying the name. Yeah, and, and a similar thing when with the light of Galadriel um, and also with Sam, right? So the same sort of thing passes on. There seems to be kind of more going on, but each of those calling ons cause something to happen in ways that are more than just 
the thing. So it's true that Tom Bombadil pulls him from a tree, but also creates like a Bombadil kind of space and gives him the, you know, gifts and things like that. Or um, I think the name of uh, Elbereth was, I think, a weapon in a sense, right? In that moment, mm-hmm. is, is that right? Yeah, okay. Uh, the, the light comes, but then courage comes, things like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. that's, this word seems to be this, this Lagos moment where they cry out in this faith that they can't always define this trust, this reaching out uh, is um, doing the, the prayer invocation kind of thing, the calling kind of thing, but is also doing a making in the world kind of thing at the same mm-hmm. time. Is that right? Yeah. So that would be like, that would be kind of the definition of a, of a performative speech act is that it's not just saying something, you're doing something by the saying of it. So by, you know, calling on uh, Elbreth, for example, uh, something is happening in the world. It creates a new fact in the world. Frodo's situation is changed in that moment. Good. Excellent. Yeah. And that's what I kind of wanted to draw out. And so let me kind of make just kind of just one more connection and then we'll go to questions without, I know, um, this is not like I'm trying to do this in a way that you isn't the logic that you used in the paper, just so I can test the logic of it. Because you know, returning to the idea of subcreation, uh, creator God in the primary world, creator Luvatar in the secondary world, speak, creation happens, they give subcreation power to others. Is and part of that is those we can make with speech, right? The way mm-hmm. that. Uh, both um, the elves, at least, um, but uh, humans in another kind of way in in the secondary world, and then us in the primary world, we can make with speech. That's what we talked about at the beginning, right? So it seems to me like this speech act theory is sort of teasing up what is happening, uh, like what you're saying in speech act theory is teasing up is what is happening in sub-creation, right? Mm -hmm. There is that that element. Is that that right? It's naming what's happening in sub-creation. Yeah, so uh, because of God, you know, using speech in a way to create the world, he creates humans uh, by the same way of like a supernatural declaration of for it to be. And so humans also have that same power of language. Uh, and, and so language is kind of a subcreation uh, in that way, mimicking God's kind of word of creation. And so uh, humans didn't have that ability to subcreate through language. And that subcreation, and through language, subcreation happens because of that speaking and speech acts. There's uh, a subcreation uh, through that, that a situation is changed uh, by saying something that the, the speech act itself is a subcreation through language, and then something happens because of that speech act, uh, kind of subcreating the world around us and allowing for situations and and things to happen because of our 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 speech and our language and the power of language good good and so that's what i wanted to capture that's in your piece is that the layered thing so the hobbits calling out but that's a making in the world that's a reflection of the sub-creative space that's Mm -hmm. been made there all the while tolkien is telling a story that is his sub-creative act and and of course, with Tolkien in particular, it's a from the word up act, right? From uh, sound or uh, c- content of a word to words to poetry to myth and, and to story, right? That's the kind of 
um, tree-like movement of Tolkien's uh, creation, right? Subcreation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's great. And it's like I don't think it's accidental then that uh, logos is the word used in in John for for that uh, co-creator, yeah. uh, Christ co-creator. Um, but also the creative energy. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that's important. So that's good. Okay, so let's let's pop this out. So we've, I think we've got the game plan. Let's turn to some questions that we have here. I just have to make a little rearranging here just to have them in front of me. Turn to some questions and, and then we'll come back to kind of like, maybe one of the questions we'll do this. We'll come back to kind of the more personal con connection when we come, okay? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Oh yeah, Gomberi Gone. Yeah, I, I bet uh, Kate that autocorrect will never do that super uh, well. Um, uh, Kate Neville writes, uh, during Corey's Exploring the Lord of the Rings podcast, we're wondering about a part of Elrond's farewell to the fellowship. He says, uh, Elrond does, farewell and may the blessing of elves and men and all free, free folk go with you. Okay. It does seem that free folk that they meet along the way do respond well. This is Aomir and Treebeard and and Faramir and even uh, Gunbury, uh, Gun, not Ghanaian, uh, but Gun, uh, they respond well to this. So, what in speech act terms uh, and then subcreation terms, what's going on with that blessing? Like, what's happening when Elrond does that? Because it does seem more than just, see you guys. Right. Yeah. I think uh, blessings are also a kind of a performative thing in the kind of like a, a ceremonial type of way same way i think as blessings as the opposite of you know curses you know curses uh, you curse somebody and that's a performative thing and somebody is then cursed something bad happens to them that's uh because of that speech act perlocution react is then something bad happens to that person uh and so the same way i think um blessings kind of work in the same way that uh instead of something bad happening your blessing the person in the party that something will good will happen to them uh and, and um so that's the speech act of blessing and then because of that blessing uh in saying it they're blessed in a way and by saying it they are then have this um i guess that the, the, they are safe from uh, in their journey of, of perils. And so it, it's kind of like the perlocutionary act of, of by saying the blessing. And so I, I guess that that's kind of like, uh, th there's a weight to that speech act in that way that it does something for the party involved there. Yeah. So it is a, so it, it's a, it's an, it's an act in that when I say, I bless you, I am blessing you. Right. Or, right. Or curse. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So that's, that works as a happening in the world, the performative thing. Um, given kind of how there seems to be a number of things happening with those scenes of Frodo and, and Sam calling out, there seems to be a, a tug to call out this connection to sometimes a force, a creator, and a, a, um, a divine figure that's unknown, but, but still a, a calling out. And then there's a something that happens on the inside courage or hope or something and then a kind of thing that can happen on the outside a, a light the light shines the 
um, uh, person comes, uh, the the words work like a curse or a blessing, right? To the which would be the same thing to uh, to someone who lives in shadow. A, a blessing would be a curse, right? So a blessing of light would be a curse, and so the, it's happening on different things. Is is Elrond like doing a magic and like like are they more blessed on each of those levels so they're blessed in the sense of the hearing maybe the warming of the heart but is there also something that then happens is there a way uh is it does do they fare weller better because of the words you know what i mean does that create that kind of material thing in the world i think that you know really with that kind of thing I guess with a curse, you can see kind of the outcome of a curse. Something bad happens to you, but maybe in this way, the blessing, you may not be aware of uh, things that are good things that are happening to you specifically because of the blessing, because, because they're just, you know, happening in the world. And you can attribute that to the blessing itself. Uh, and I think if Elrond has like a power to, to do so in a blessing to bless uh, the people, I think, it's really like the power of words themselves in the way that you can then be blessed. And maybe because also Elrond has that power to do so. Uh, it also could come from, you know, a higher power, a Luvatar or somebody that, that also gives that power to Elrond to then act in that way to bless, you know, the person that they're blessing. So that kind of, uh, I guess that, 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 that comes from, that power of, of the words and Elrond's own power to to create a blessing and then uh, uh, and then I guess it, it, it really depends on if then we can see that happening in the world uh, you know it, it, if we can attribute it to the blessing if we can we read Lord of the Rings and we can see maybe these things are happening because of the blessing uh, in that way or you know in, in in real life we can have that kind of you know sense that because we were blessed these are the things that are happening to me because of that. Um, so I guess that's kind of where it comes from. Mm. Yeah, I guess I read. I guess I read as a kid, and and maybe still do in a sense. I read Elven blessings kind of like the way magic works more than the way maybe a mm-hmm. religious blessing or curse works or something. In the sense, um, uh, in and I'll ask about that. But if we think about like Gladrails may this be a, a light to you in dark places that seems to be a different kind of performative event than just may you be well and i wonder where may the blessing of elves and men go with you right and free folk go with you i'd be curious whether that falls in between those two in some kind of performative way or whether it's one or the other um, mm-hmm. is magic is, is magic where does magic fall as like a speech act um, I would think that uh, magic is definitely very different than, you know, a regular human being being able to create something in the world. With, with magic, uh, John Searle calls these things like supernatural declarations. That's what God does himself when he says, uh, let there be light. Luvatar says, uh, AI, the world is created uh, and, and humans don't have that ability ourselves you know and and john strill kind of also says that we see these things in in fairy stories with magicians and witches and in and, and magic and so that i would attribute magic to these kind of supernatural declarations that are different than a regular human being maybe wanting something immediately like uh, to say you know 
uh, go do the dishes. Uh, you're ordering someone else to do it, but you know you can't say you know dishes. You know, be clean now. That's something that a supernatural being would say using magic in a way. And so I think uh, you know Gladriel or any supernatural kind of being has these kind of inherent magical abilities probably with when they say these things. And so that would be kind of attributed to uh, this supernatural ability that, that these beings have in using magic as opposed to like, or an everyday person uh, saying anything else that they want something to happen in the world. We could have a long conversation about wizards. Elves kind of, in my mind, have a synchronicity natural to Middle Earth that's a little different than just magic. So, uh, you know, the you know the sunrail light does a thing in the world, but it's natural to that world. It's not extraneous to the world. Or this the the soil for Sam to 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 reseed uh, his his world, right? Uh, his uh, shire. Um, you know that's that's not that that's not alien to Middle Earth. It just happens to be super cool, <laughs> you know, Shire Shire level, super cool. So there's yes. magic invocation, magic prayer, blessing. Uh, returning to naming, and and uh, Kate has a comment here, and I'll just note that we're going to finish uh, within a few minutes, seven or eight minutes, and. And so if you have a question, please do pop it in the box. Kate, Kate returns to naming as a question about speech act uh, within the same story. Gildor names Frodo elf friend, right? Or quite early in the tale. And then Goldberg sees that, I see you are an elf friend. Like, is that an example of the, like outside of the large calling pieces? Is that an example of sub-creative speech act um, in, this, in this space? Yeah, I think, you know, besides on, you know, calling somebody's name, I think the name, the act of just naming uh, itself, you know, it's a subcreation in that it, 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 it gives that person that you're naming kind of, it becomes, that name becomes that person. And so it gives them these characteristics of the name itself. The, there's, there's, pow, there's like the name uh, means something the word of the name can mean something like Elbreth, you know, star kindler has these connotations with light. And so uh, El friend also, uh, it, it gives Frodo this, this new uh, personality that he is now himself an elf friend. And that uh, I guess th there's, there's power in that. And then others can, I guess, see that also in, in, uh, in Frodo as being, now this elf friend because of the naming of Frodo himself at, at the beginning and then others will kind of see that in him. Good, yeah, good. Um, okay, so turning to uh, some uh, kind of personal questions about this journey, because I think the paper's there, it's solid. Uh, folks can um, find it in the Signum University Library. This, this video will be available and people can reach out to Jacob if they want to see that. that. Uh, research uh, and he's willing to share it the so we, like how did this happen for you, you how did you stumble upon this idea personally of a speech act theory um, yeah so where did this develop for you yeah I think from really the the first class that I took at Signum I was kind of doing more research and I was thinking of uh, uh, Frodo and Sam 
specifically in 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 the in their encounters with Shelob, that kind of like spoke out to me as they are. It seemed to me like a prayer. So I, I was thinking of the word of faith, uh, logos of faith, like from that moment that they're using their words in faith to pray in these moments. Uh, and so from there, I, I, it's been like kind of brewing. And I was talking to my uh, mentor, Aaron Austin, on this, giving suggestions. And when I, when I said this to her, she, she kind of uh, mentioned uh, speech tech theory and JL Austin, which I had no idea was even a thing. Uh, and so when I searched it up, it kind of, it made sense in that by saying things that we are doing things and so things happen in the world and so it just made perfect sense to, to be able to put these two things together of, of of praying uh and words of faith and speech act theory so it all kind of like came together in that way mm, good yeah and i as soon as i heard it, i i i think it works and i had just read uh, when your proposal came in, I just read a chapter of Serena Higgins' PhD thesis, which had uh, performance uh, in speech act theory with regard to magic on stage, uh, which is pretty cool. And, and she was able to serve as a second reader, which is neat, mm -hmm. uh, a good opportunity, someone who, who knew that theory pretty well. I, I get it. I think it, did you like, uh, Sarah Brown has a great question, which is like, so did you happen to find anything unexpected in your research? Was there any, like anything that popped up that was in the way or like that yeah. didn't kind of figure out super well? So, you know, kind of almost immediately searching these things in speech act theory and in Tolkien, there's uh, absolutely nothing like between those two things, really. I couldn't find a single thing that had Tolkien and speech act theory and using that uh, in, in a paper or, or a chapter or something. And so that immediately kind of made things difficult. And so, so that's kind of the, you know, the surprising thing is that really no one has used speech like theory and Tolkien in any kind of official way that I could search myself. And so really I had to search, uh, research speech like theory uh, a lot to kind of understand the basic things of, of how it works. Uh, and that led me to being able to use that that theory in practice uh, for myself in, in my thesis. And so it, it kind of like made me in a way pave the way for, to be able to do this and for others kind of to, you know, maybe follow an example of, of also having uh, a, a, a something to look at to, to see that they can also use feedback theory in the same way uh, uh, in, in Tolkien's work. Mm. Yeah, no, that's good. And I, th I think it's great. Like Kate Neville says, uh, very cool topic, lots of applicability in many fantasies, very Le Guinian, like Ursula K. Le Guin. And I've sketched this out, Kate, which um, in Le Guin, and my, one of my questions is about magic and how that works. And that's why I have that distinction of magic that's endemic to the world and then magic that seems some somehow um, not just uh, physical, metaphysical or something, right? So... Mm -hmm. Uh, where whatever the w wizards are doing, the the elves seem to me resonant with with what they who they are in Middle Earth, right? So, um, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a uh, I think it's a great thing, uh, and I love like yeah, no, you've got folks, you've got this idea, this uh, cluster of things. Um, it's and it's largely new research for a lot of spaces. The sub creation 
conversation did root you in some research, right? There was people, there were people talking about that, right? That you could talk to, yeah. So that that part's helpful, um, and some theological work was helpful. But you don't want to be in a master's thesis on your own, right? So mm -hmm. you need the conversation. So part. yeah, yeah, using sub creation, and then you know, from the theological standpoint, then being able to connect that to speech act theory, and then from that, I have conversation partners be able to connect that in Tolkien's work. And so it kind of all came together and made sense when I put it all together. Great, excellent. This is another one of these thesis theaters that show the work of the whole period of time at Signum from the first class to the to the final words of the thesis. And, and so uh, now I want to uh, thank everyone for coming. There's some comments coming in of encouragement and thanks that are coming in here. Thank you for participating and asking questions. Uh, thanks for those that supported Jacob along the way. Um, Dr. Sarah Brown works as the thesis uh, director and is often shepherding these projects before we see them as supervisors. Dr. Serena Higgins as the uh, second reader and of those mentors and teachers that you mentioned and conversation partners that you mentioned along the way. And now I also want to congratulate you, Jacob. This is the final moment of your final piece of your master's degree with Signum. So well done. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. Good stuff. Well, that's, I think, what we're going to do to finish and more comments coming in here. Uh, thank you so much, Jacob. I'll remind folks that this is uh, going to be available on YouTube, and I hope that you can enjoy this. And like me, you may have to take a bit more time on the anatomy or the architecture of the idea, but grabbing just a few of those moments and you can start to see how that kind of connects. And we can, as fantasy readers, speculative fiction readers, science fiction readers, we can, uh, fairy tale readers, we can reconfigure that speech act conversation. Uh, and uh, Jacob's thesis just walks us through how to do that, gives some examples and actually roots it a little deeper in some things we didn't talk about like Barfield's theory and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Excellent. Well, thank you, everyone. And for those that uh, are, are curious, we have quite a number, dozens of these thesis theaters here on the Signum University channel, including a number of them on Tolkien studies topics. We have uh, a full MA in literature, imaginative literature uh, with Germanic philology and a number of literary pathways for you to study, including Tolkien studies. I would encourage you to reach out to Signum University if you would like to find out more uh, about the MA program, as well as our other open classes and small groups and various kinds of things that happen uh, all through the week in the year here at Signum University. So thank you, everyone, and have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and good night. <laughs>